Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark 1. And uh, so today was the memorial service for Aretha Franklin, the great Aretha Franklin. Uh, there were, I, was, I heard on the radio there was 100 pink Cadillacs at Aretha Franklin's funeral. And nobody in this room is ever going to be cool enough to have 100 pink Cadillacs at their funeral. I'm just going to go ahead and be real about that. Um, Aretha was an amazing um, uh, woman, an amazing singer, um, and really led the popular soul movement. And uh, one of my favorite stories about Aretha Franklin, um, Otis Redding is one of my favorite musicians, uh, soul singer, um, really died in his prime in the 60s, but he's from my hometown. And he had a song called Respect. Now, you, you know Respect as being an Aretha Franklin song, right? Um, but Otis wrote a song called Respect, and you know, it kind of went like, you know, what I want, baby, you got it. What I need, you know, I got it. And the, the, the key line was, all I'm asking is for a little respect when I come home, okay? Uh, you can probably fill in the, the blanks as to what that respect might be, you know? Like, I've been working all day. I'm about to give you all my money that I work for. And all I'm asking is when I come home, you give me some respect when I get here, right? And uh, it was a hit song, um, as misogynistic as it is. And uh, Aretha covered respect, okay? It wasn't originally her song. But she did this amazing and beautiful thing to it. When she, she changed it a little bit, the change of perspective to say, what you want, baby, I got it. What you need, you know, I got it. But all I'm asking is for a little respect when I come home. I'm saying? And so she actually, the line she adds is R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. Okay? And she took this song, and Otis later said, you know, this, uh, he would sing the song live and he'd say, I, this is my song, but a girl stole it from me. Um, and what she was saying, she totally recontextualized this song Really only by adding one line to say, what the thing that you're asking for in your song isn't nearly as grand or beautiful as the thing that I'm asking you for in my song. And she completely made us able to hear a song in a totally new way. And what I'm hoping will happen um, this semester in RUF, if you will journey with us through the semester, is that we would have the same opportunity as well. Because a lot of you... Uh, grew up in um, religious environments or Christian environments, and you've maybe been hearing this song your whole life. And you might have a sense of, I know what that song is all about, the song about God and Jesus and all that. But what I think can happen as we study Jesus' conversations with people in Mark is that we can hear that song recontextualized so it's something totally new to a, a relationship with God that feels less like Drudgery and what I do with my sex and my time and all that to something that feels like a free, life-giving relationship with Jesus, that we can hear that song in a new way. And that's why we're going to be looking at these conversations that Jesus had with people in the book of Mark. And we're in Mark 1, and Jesus is speaking to a man in desperate need. So I'm going to read here, and we'll dive into it. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Uh, This is the word of the living God. And a leper came to him, 
imploring him and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, all come to this room and to this place um, for different reasons and with different stories. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for the courage um, that you've given to Ellie tonight to share a story that is familiar to all too many in the room. And Lord, we pray like this man that fell down Jesus at your feet and implored you and begged you. Lord, we pray for hope, pray for healing. We pray for joy that uh, violence cannot overcome. Uh, We pray for good, deep, vulnerable friendships uh, where there's trust and safety. And Lord, thank you that you provide those things. And Lord, we also thank you for your word. You could have created us and just let us be. But you've spoken to us. Uh, in the scripture. And so Lord, we ask now that you would send your spirit to be with us, that we would hear your voice. Jesus, you say that you're like a shepherd to us and we're like sheep and that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you into good things. And Lord, would you make that true uh, with us tonight as we consider your word and we pray Jesus in your name. Amen. Um, So the guy in the story is an outsider and I was thinking about who are outsiders on, on campus, just like in the most basic sense. And at first I was like, well, you know, freshmen, you know, um, and because uh, you're like, I don't know what's going on. But there's, there's all kinds of love that's given to freshmen, you know, like freshmen, it's like you got days on days on days on days on orientation and people trying to make sure you know where you're going. Transfers are the people that really get the short end of the stick as students. And I just want to give some transfer love out there. Appreciate transfers. We do have transfer stuff going on. We have lots of transfers in this group. And because when you're a transfer, it's like you're new, but there's no one to show you anything that's going on. Like you're not like a first year, like you're right out of high school, but you don't know anybody and you don't know, do am I supposed to call it central? Am I supposed to call it race? Am I supposed to call it Roas? I, I, don't, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. And you feel like outside the camp, as it were, right? And this is, this is the story of Jesus and an ultimate outsider. Someone that felt very much on the outside of what was going on in his community. And didn't really have anywhere to go. He was desperate. And what I want to look at together, just as we quickly walk through this passage, is um, what Jesus feels emotionally toward this man, um, how Jesus touches him and and physically interacts with him, and then what Jesus says to him. So what what does Jesus feel um, towards this man? It says in verse 41 that he was moved with pity. Now, a leper, when Mark says this guy is a leper, um, this is what's going on with that. Back in the day, 
God's people in the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible, it's a history of God's people up until the time of Jesus, from creation up to the time of Jesus. There were a lot of laws uh, in, in, in Israel and God's people. And uh, the laws had to do with what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, what you could wear and what you couldn't wear, and what should happen to you if you got various ailments, particularly skin ailments, right? And the point, really, of all those rules and regulations was this. God was trying to use physical things about our body to teach us things about our inward spiritual realities, right? Uh, It was kind of like an x-ray, right? An x-ray is this outward physical thing showing you what's going on inside of you. And so, for example, if someone had a skin disease and they would just call all of them leprosy, you're like, man, lots of people had leprosy in the Bible. You know, it's kind of rare. But any kind of really skin disease... um, God, the, the, the law for that is that you were considered unclean, right? If you had the skin disease, the law was you were unclean and you had to live outside of the camp, okay? Everyone's inside with their family, cooking, eating, playing, learning, worshiping together. And you had to be outside the camp and you actually had to, to speak with the priests and they had to offer certain sacrifices for you to be restored to cleanliness and health and to be brought back into the community. And the point of all that isn't to just like rag on people with bad skin. The point of that was to say, we all, like this person has an outward physical ailment that makes them unclean. We all have an inward spiritual ailment that makes us unclean. When we rebel against God, if we turn away from God, as the Bible says we all have, that in a sense, we make ourselves unclean. We make ourselves filthy that we bring a degree of filth to our relationship with God and our relationship with others, and something has to be done to fix that, to clean that up. Um, And the reason why is this, and God is much more beautiful and pure and holy than we really could possibly imagine. Um, For example, when someone is giving birth to a baby, okay, it is a beautiful and Banana is an insane moment to be part of, okay? <laughs> Especially it is as like, I'm sure as the person giving birth, but as the person witnessing, you're like, whoa, okay? And uh, <laughs> there is no bringing your dirtiness into that situation, okay? You scrub up. You put on the blue hat, right? You put on the smock. You put on the gloves. Because when you're going to be there for that beautiful, powerful, pure moment of the birth of a child, you don't bring your dirt into that, right? It wouldn't be appropriate. It would only serve to spoil that. Uh, you know how it is when you put, gentlemen, you know, a lot of you, one day, you, you know, you may get married. And, uh, and it's likely that the person that you're married to uh, values cleanliness of sheets more than you do. Okay? <laughs> and it's very likely, in fact. And when the bed is perfectly made with new, fresh sheets on there, and they're all, all nice and beautiful, you can't come in with your nasty feet into that bed, okay? And bring your nasty foot dirt into the bed. It's because the bed is too much of a beautiful, pure space for you to bring that. You've got to clean that up, right? <clears throat> in a less silly way, God's space is very, very pure. And that's part of his beauty, just like the earth is beautiful, just like the bed is beautiful. And for it to be any other way would diminish that beauty. Um, and what God does, as we'll see, is he doesn't just cast us out or allow the, the, the dirt in, but he actually cleans us. And all those clean laws were in part to help people examine themselves to say, hey, look, 
Is it possible that there's something going on inside of you that is keeping you at a distance from God, something that God needs to make clean in you? But as you will know, if you've ever spent time in a religious context, uh, things that are supposed to be about all of our inward struggles often become outward physical things that people in the religious community use to distinguish themselves from other people, right? Over time, people began focusing on the physical stuff only to say, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm in, you're dirty, you're unclean, you're out. And they missed the opportunity to look inside. Being clean or unclean was purely physical, and staying clean was a great way to avoid God, really, and to avoid unsavory people that you didn't want to spend time with anyway. And I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience in the church, or if you've ever had that kind of experience in a school setting or with friends. Maybe you feel that way here, even at RUF, to say there are people and the outward things that they are doing are really a way for them to stay away from the dirty people, the outsiders. So this man not only had a disease, but he was considered by his community to be, to be untouchable. For someone to touch this person, they would become unclean as well, and they would have to go through all the stuff and be an outsider as well. He couldn't live with his family. No one could touch him at all, much less embrace him. You know, they said that, that like little children need 40 plus hugs a day to be emotionally like healthy and stable, okay? And that number doesn't go down that much as we grow up. So this guy, that's where he is. He's lacking and longing for human touch and community. And he comes to Jesus and he begs Jesus. He falls down at Jesus' feet and he begs him to make him clean. And the passage says that Jesus was moved with pity. And really what the word means is that Jesus in his bowels, in his belly, in his gut, responded to him with love and with empathy. You know how they say the, the way to a person's heart is through their stomach, right? What Jesus is showing is that when Jesus' stomach is showing his heart, when he sees that dirty person that he's just supposed to stay away from because he's unclean, he inside hurts and aches for this other human being. He knows his belly shows how much he loves and hurts for this man. And, and the question for us at this point is what makes you feel yuck? Like, what makes you feel disconnected, outside, unclean? Um, what's that quiet thing that no one knows, but if they knew, you know they would put you outside the camp? Do you long for real intimacy that you feel like you don't have? Is it something about your body? Something about you, about your, your brain? Something that you've done, something that you are doing? Pictures that you have sent? Attractions that you feel? God's heart toward you is shown in Jesus. That when you come and you say, I feel yuck. He's moved deeply in his belly. He has empathy for you. And that's how he feels. But that emotional response leads Jesus to do something, namely to reach out and to touch this man. He physically moves towards this person and he reaches out and he embraces him. He touches him. Uh, last semester, one of our kids had pinworms. And um, if you don't know what pinworms are, my kids don't call them pinworms, they call them buttworms. And um, uh, I won't go into the full detail of what buttworms do, but let's just say they live in your butt, okay? And um, also, if you want to be really grossed out, 
All, apparently, 50% of children have pinworm eggs on their body at any given time. Okay? All right. It's okay for you to be responding this way because I'm setting you up for this response, as you see. You're with me, Seth. Okay. We were playing on the playground. All right, come back from pinworms. This is about to be about your buttworms. Um, uh, we were playing on the playground, and there were several students there that love our kids spectacularly and that our kids love. And we're swinging on the swings, and we just casually mentioned that one of our children has pinworms. And I think if I had a can of gas, these people would have allowed me to pour it all over them to wash them from, you know. It was like they were just looking at their hands. They were trying to figure out if they touched the, the, the child. They were asking if they could go inside to wash their hands. And uh, that's how we usually respond to yuckiness. Like, is it on me? How, how do I get it off of me? We don't want to be unclean. We wash our hands, right? We wear gloves. Uh, we move away from yuck and un- uncleanness. We just do it reflexively without even thinking. Jesus moved, n- not just moved toward yuck and uncleanness and, and, and filth in that way, but he reached out and he touched this person. Jesus didn't have to touch this person to heal him. He didn't have to say anything. He's the one that spoke the entire creation into existence and stars and the moon and everything, right? He could have just thought for the guy to be healed and he would be healed. But he chooses to reach out and touch him. And this is God in the flesh, the creator of all things, reaching out and intentionally making himself ceremonially unclean by touching this person. He invited this man's uncleanness onto him. Jesus willingly, lovingly, beautifully invited this man's yuck, his filth, onto himself. Because at the heart of Jesus is a willingness to make himself unclean so that you can be clean. Because he knows desperately that you need it and he desires to make you clean. And the work of Jesus at the cross, you're like, what is that even all about? It's about him going on a cross and really what's happening there is he is taking off that pure beauty of himself. He's laying it aside. He's taking on all of your yuckiness onto himself so that you can wear that pure, beautiful, clean garment. He's wrapping you in it so that you can be clean. Because we know like, what's in the power of a touch, right? A touch can harm. A momentary touch can harm, can diminish. But a touch can also heal and affirm and deeply change us. And that is Jesus' touch. And part of what I, what I loved about Ellie's brave telling of her story is being on the bathroom floor and feeling Jesus touch her, not in a way that, that harms or diminishes, but in a way that holds and invites and says, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of what you're feeling. I'm not afraid of your shame. I will take it on me. It was the touch of love. That wasn't. (laughs) It was the touch of health. One of the funniest things that I, and this was told in total sincerity, it simultaneously was like, it was funny, and it was also so, I don't think I've heard someone say something this beautiful and poignant, is I was meeting with a student one time, and uh, she was crying, and she said, I just want Jesus to snuggle with me. (laughs) Right? And everyone's like, huh, also, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 
what does it mean that the king of the universe, not exactly what we associate with snuggling, okay, and who is not, God is not to be trifled with as just like this snuggly little bear, right? He's the one that, he, that created everything. Um, what do we make of that God coming with such intimacy? To really, truly say, and this is not like heretical or wrong, to say like, I want that too. Like, I want to be close with you. I'm not a, I will take your uncleanness on my body and I will bear it away out of the camp for you so that you can be brought back in and loved and accepted and have hope and healing and health. What does that mean for you? And Jesus, Jesus feels something. He touches this man, but he also speaks. And the most powerful declaration you are likely to ever hear, in my opinion, is in this passage. Jesus touches this man, and, he, and the guy just said, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will. Be clean. And just his speaking of it accomplishes everything that he wanted to do. The man is, is immediately clean. He was clean. That's a declaration. Someone speaking something that changes someone's identity forever. No longer is he unclean, the one outside, the one that can't be with his family, the one that can't draw near to God. He is clean. That is his new identity. And and, and I guess my question for, for all of us tonight is, have you heard Jesus say that to you? Did you know that he will speak that word to you when you come to him to say, yes, Lord, I'm desperately in need? He will say, I will give you a new identity. You are clean. You are beloved. You are accepted. You can know that. You can know that tonight by saying yes to Jesus. Um, there's a lot of these. I, just, I had a lot of these stories in my, in my mind, but um, I, I was talking to a, a student a few years ago. She wasn't in our group. Um, I, I had met her in like a random way. And uh, she was like probably the most outward stoner that I had like ever like interacted with. Um, like her, like what she wanted to be was like a gypsy. Um, like travel, being a gypsy, but she didn't like the gypsies steal. Gypsy culture is about like stealing to get by. So she wanted to be an accountant, do people's taxes. And uh, I thought it sounded like a cool job. Uh, live in a van, smoke weed, do people's taxes. Um, and uh, one time when I was talking to her, I, find, I found out, because she was like just like a suburban, you know, you know girl from North Carolina. And... Um, she told me this story, and I won't go into all the details, but basically she was dating a guy, and she had sent, she had sent this guy some pictures, and you know how it goes. They broke up. What happens to the pictures? Right. And um, suddenly everyone had access to these, to these pictures, this absolutely dehumanizing, wretched, evil thing. And this is what she said. Her name wasn't Hannah, but I'm just using the name Hannah. She said, at that moment I decided I was going to be Hannah the stoner and not Hannah the slut. And she knew that she could speak a word and declare something about herself. And that could change her identity. She was speaking a new identity onto herself, but I don't know that that new identity was giving her much freedom. Um, it wasn't an identity of freedom. It was a further identity of slavery. But when you come to Jesus and say yes to him, he makes a new declaration of you, the clean, new, beautiful, beloved, accepted. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He does that and we receive it as an identity of freedom. To say, I don't have to be defined by anything that I do. I can be totally defined by everything that he's done. And I can rest in that. 
Um, so to bring this thing down for a landing, uh, if you're here, in, well, I guess anyone that's here, how do you respond to other people's yuck? How do you respond to other people's uncleanness? Usually the way that you respond to your roommate's dishes, which is like, somebody needs to clean this crap up. Um, not me. I already did the dishes this month. Um, someone needs to clean this up. Uh, you probably don't realize even how subtly you say that to people all the time. Yeah, 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 that seems hard. You should clean that up because I don't like it. Um, are you as well acquainted with your yuck as you are with other people's yuck? Um, we often use the, the other people's messes to diminish our own. Like, mine's not so bad. It's not as bad as that one. Um, and it's never enough. It's not freeing. Uh, it is exhausting, isn't it? To say, the way that I will atone for my yuck is finding someone with more yuck than me. It is the worst And the good news isn't like, stop doing that. The good news is Jesus will give you freedom to stop doing that and to live for something better, which is that Jesus frees you to deal with your yuck with hope and joy. That the best is never behind you, but the best is always yet to come. For the one that loves you will reach out and embrace you and will make you clean. And the only reasonable thing to do about that is what this man did and tell everybody about it. Jesus said, hey, don't tell anybody. Classic. It's always like, hey, don't tell anybody about that. Next verse. They, they went and they yelled it to people. Um, and why should you tell people about that if Jesus was to heal you? Because you need to inflict your religious beliefs on other people? No. Because everyone longs to be healed and cleaned. To say, it's okay. You're accepted. I will draw close to you. Everybody longs for that and Jesus is able and ready to do that. Because he feels deeply he isn't afraid to become intimate with unclean people. And he's the only one that can definitively say to your life, what you have done, thought, desired, do not define you. He comes near to make us clean. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us. That you've given yourself for us. That you're much more committed to our health and wholeness than we are. And Lord, we're coming from a lot of places. And we just pray that you would meet us. Would you convince us that when you look at us and you see the things that we know are wrong, things we've done, that that, that stick to us, that cling to us, the things that other people have done to us that cling to us. And we say, there could never be hope through this. That you ache inside. And you say, I want to take that all away. Um, Lord, would you teach that to our hearts that that we would say yes to you? I pray for any that are considering this for the first time or in a new way, that you would be near to them, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Everybody say